Welcome to the very first episode of How's Life. I'm Joshua Clymer, and I want to start this podcast out by doing something I should have done a while ago. You might have heard some rumors, and they're true. I'm not a Christian anymore. I went to leading the school in worship to being an outright infidel, and I'm sure that many people are wondering why. I anticipated that curiosity, and I've been meaning to write something thorough about it, uh, mostly for my own processing but I hope this podcast will do. There are two stories to tell here. One is the progression of conscious thinking that influenced that decision, and the other is what some people might think is the real story, the psychological undercurrents and motivations that might have played a greater part than I'd like to believe. I don't think people are very rational, and I don't think I'm an exception to that. That being said, it frustrates me when I talk about how I'm not a Christian any- anymore, and I get that look like, okay, so you want to sin now. That's why. And Or you're too arrogant to, to listen to God. You just can't submit yourself to him. That's what I've sensed from some people, or I feel like that is in some people's minds. So in my defense, let me tell the first story of why I'm not a Christian anymore. So starting from the beginning, growing up in Sunday school, reading from the wacky Bible with my mom, I think I was too young then to question what I was learning because just like all the other children, I was just a sponge, just taking in information and you just have to take everything in. And I liked the stories. I remember learning about the Garden of Eden and I asked my mom, why did God make Satan if he knew he was gonna mess everything up? And I asked the question probably mostly to to impress my mom that I could ask hard questions. But my mom didn't really have a good answer, and it didn't bother me, uh, or it didn't bother me until later. I've asked a lot of questions like that. Why do we say that God is just if God is supposed to be merciful? Why does Jesus talk to God and find it difficult to submit to God if he is supposed to be God? Why would a loving God torture his children for eternity? And why would believing in something qualify you for eternal bliss? Why do we believe the Bible is inspired by God? And some of these questions I have found resolution to, and some remained. And as I tried to remain consistent, my beliefs became more and more different from the Christians around me. I watched my father do the same thing. My father is a very intelligent person. And he's very conscious about what he believes and why he believes it. When he was growing up, he had pretty standard Christian beliefs. And then came the rejection of the idea of free will. Then came theistic evolution. Then came annihilism, or the belief that hell is a quick execution rather than a drawn-out torment. And I followed in my dad's progression of thought and found myself drifting further and further from the mainstream. 
But let me take a step back for a second because you might be thinking, okay, I know your problem. You were treating Christianity like some sort of systematic theory, like a subject in school. And that's obviously not what Christianity is, but I did have more of a faith than just a bunch of doctrines. And that started probably around sixth grade when I came to Monta Vista. Before that, I didn't really care about my faith. I was just like any other, you know, Christian who is, or kid who was raised a Christian. And I think the change happened when. Uh, you might have remembered spiritual emphasis weeks because before that I really I went to public schools and I don't know I just didn't really have much spiritual influence in my life and then in spiritual emphasis week Jack Wilkins talked about holding up a banner of love right and I was planning coming into this new school I was planning on holding up a banner of hey I'm smart and he called me out like directly. I mean, not me specifically, but he's, he said, you know, what banner are you holding up? The I get good grades banner or are you going to or all these other banners, right? Or are you going to hold up the banner of love? And I decided, you know, that's what's most important, right? Loving people. And I just felt really convicted by that. And I decided I wanted to make Christianity the most important thing. And I prayed really frequently. I had a really personal relationship with God. I read my Bible every day. That's something a lot of Christians don't do. And I, one thing I hear a lot about people, you know, leaving the faith is according to the Bible, you, once you're a Christian, you don't stop being a Christian. Like you're a Christian forever. Right? That's what some people interpret the Bible to mean, at least. So if you leave the faith and you don't come back, it's because you were never a Christian to begin with. And I don't think that was true for me. I really felt like I had a genuine faith. And I think my reputation reflected that. I don't know about the genuine part, but definitely people kind of saw me as the Christian kid. I don't know. Frank used me as an interview in one of his videos uh, criticizing Christian music, I think as kind of the representative of Christian students at Monta Vista. So I think I kind of had that public perception for sure. And a lot of that had to do with um, my involvement in the worship team. And I've been doing that since, since seventh grade, I think. And that's definitely a way that my faith was more than just doctrines and ideas because uh, worshiping requires emotion it requires uh, a real conviction of what you're saying otherwise it's just singing and I think people can tell the difference and I'm sure I was just singing sometimes and I'm not saying I was like a super Christian that's definitely not true I think I kind of embraced that um, the re that reputation, that quality of myself, like, oh, I'm the Christian kid. And I definitely felt really good when I like won the Christian character awards, you know, and I still thought though, that was kind of the most important part of, of who I was. So it's like, I wanted to, 
perform well academically. I wanted to be a good student and be intelligent, but I also wanted to be a good Christian. And I think that was kind of at the top, or at least it was for a while. And the progression was slow on that front, on the more emotional front. I do think it waned and my interactions with God became less genuine, especially last year. And I was the worship leader last year, you know, and I certainly felt like I really worshiped God. And some, sometimes I don't think I was faking it for a long time and now I'm coming out of the closet, that's for sure. But there was a slow progression and of a shifting in thinking. And that shift of thinking, I think, had to do with the doctrine side. Um, I wondered, when I'm praying to God, what is actually happening? Because I'm kind of imagining God to be some kind of person that's just listening to my thoughts and just taking them in. And then when I started thinking about God and how he knows everything, he knows my thoughts, all of those ideas, when I'm speaking, it's just, it's not this live interaction like it is with other human beings. And I just didn't see the point because if, say, I asked God for something, um, can I, I don't know, have a good grade on this test, which is, you know, not a very good thing to ask for in the begin to begin with, but isn't that saying kind of, like what I want is more important than what you want. I mean, the only correct prayer you could possibly pray would be let your will be done. And general prayers like that, I just felt like that's meaningless. And so I think my prayers did become more general like that. I was less raw with God because I felt like there wasn't a point to it. I felt like being that, um, that, Abraham, you know, telling God, oh, don't burn down Sodom and Gomorrah uh, and like having an argument with God. I didn't have that anymore. I couldn't advocate for myself. I was just like, there's God in his abstract, very difficult to understand uh, setting. And he's, yeah, I just didn't, couldn't relate to him. That's what happened. And back to the doctrine side. Um, like I said, I was drifting away from the mainstream. So I believed, I already believed, you know, hell, that's not, you know, the eternal conscious torment. That's like a Greek idea. The idea that you either have to have torment or you have to have bliss, just the symmetry of it. It just feels like something that was invented and it's just not well supported by scripture. At least that was my opinion. And I disagreed with like almost everyone on that, uh, that I met, all, most of the Christians that I met. And the whole free will thing, people would look at me like I'm crazy when I said, you know, we're all puppets. You know, I, I completely embraced that idea. God literally is control of, of what we do, right? And the whole idea of sin coming from us and not from God and that explaining the pro problem of evil I felt like that just wasn't a proper explanation and I that didn't bother me too much because I was used to that idea that maybe God wasn't the author of sin but 
he was still he allowed it i guess that's how i justified it he allowed it to happen so everything is still in god's control and plan but it's not like god said i have an idea i will create sin but more like that was the default and he allowed it to pass because of his infinite wisdom of course if you have no free will that also throws a wrench in the whole idea of you know having a relationship with god like can a puppet have a relationship with his master when i can i talk to my hand you know just like moving it up and down and saying words that doesn't that's not a relationship there needs to be two independent entities and independence i just felt like didn't make sense with the whole omniscient omnipotent god that we all uh, believe exists or at least christians believed existed so that was a big problem for me and i sort of kept changing my faith to deal with a lot of the inconsistencies a lot of the the problems i felt like existed there i read thomas paine's the age of reason which criticized the belief that scripture is inerrant and i had to agree with a lot of his points for example how can we say that a historical account is inspired by god so somebody wrote it down they wrote down what they saw what they heard etc and you know that's not something that man would not have known if god had not breathed inspiration into him and just like where in the world is the basis for saying those words are actually from god just because some famous apostle's name is slapped onto the book you know and so i agreed you know okay maybe some of our history could be fallible that's a possibility I mean, after all, didn't people decide what books they were going to trust? So there was a bunch of different accounts of the situations. People said, this account seems pretty reliable. And I did believe it was reliable. I felt like everything in scripture was mostly true. And it was all on the right direction. But I think there was some potential for human error there. So that was the first little slip uh, into believing something that was less conventional and and so then I had to make some more edits I saw like the book of Ecclesiastes which is my favorite book in the Bible where it's just like life is meaningless whatever um, and I thought okay is that inspired by God well I guess it could be um, saying so without God life is meaningless and really without God you have the idea that uh, that you will eventually be forgotten and therefore everything is pointless and without God you have the idea that it's just randomness controlling everything but hold up so there's a bunch of ideas that are contrary to a lot of the claims of Christianity in the Bible here and we're saying God put them in there as an example of the other side and it just felt like a forced justification like people that I was talking to about these questions weren't really thinking about the questions. They were just trying to find the easiest way to make them disappear. And I just wasn't satisfied. Now, through this doubting, I retained my faith. And again, this has been going on for a long time. 
there was a time in 10th grade uh, we were asked to write a resurrection paper and I decided you know what I'm gonna write a paper on why I don't think the resurrection happened just to challenge my faith and because at that time I wasn't really sure so I researched a bunch of theories tried to come up with my own and found it more difficult than I expected to come up with an opposing theory a theory without some evidence against it so I decided to change my mind since I didn't really have something really satisfying to write about so I created a truth tree um, or a possibility tree right to try to create a comprehensive list of possibilities and different theories and went through them individually and explained what could be wrong with them or what was wrong with them and that gave my Christianity a big boost I was like okay I feel pretty good about this argument now the problem with all arguments like these are your you have a bunch of explanations and who's to say that the fact that Jesus actually rose from the dead is a more probable explanation than any of the others now the others there wasn't just one that leapt out as an amazingly good explanation uh, but one could argue of course that no matter what you shouldn't accept a miracle you know that would it would it would require way more evidence to convince anybody of a miracle so I thought okay so Jesus's resurrection is really I believe it yes because maybe it's not easy to find an alternate explanation but I also believe in a lot of the foundational beliefs surrounding it I thought there was uh, good evidence for the fact that Jesus was God based on the way he carried himself and claimed like the, the whole Lord liar lunatic I thought that was a strong argument um, I felt like there was some good justification for belief in a God and in miracles to begin with I didn't feel like that was a super improbable concept so I had a lot of the the foundation that caused Jesus's resurrection to not maybe be a very improbable event and also where was the burden of proof the burden of proof was on the atheists I you know my social reputation stood on Christianity and the body of evidence that would be required for me to reject that and to suffer the consequences and to change a fundamental part of who I was uh, was going to be astronomical <clears throat> now I don't think maybe the evidence that caused me to reject my faith is astronomical I think it's more it's more subtle honestly there wasn't one argument that I thought okay Christians are never gonna explain this and therefore I should just reject my faith if there was one argument maybe that was the heaviest contributor it was probably free will I wrote like an 11 page paper no double space a single space um, on free will to try to uh, figure out once and for all based on Christian theology can it does the concept have merit because it really was central to a lot of ideas the problem of evil the problem of justice all these issues I had and I felt like free will just didn't hold water and sent it I sent it to a bunch of my teachers and I felt like I had a crystallization of a decision in my beliefs 
I'm going to try to create a theology without free will. Again, taking a step, a really, this time a really firm step away from the mainstream. But I still held on to Christianity. I felt like people in Christianity just weren't thinking flexibly enough. And there's this idea in physics that the that good physics models are flexible models. When new evidence comes, you're able to adapt them, and the models we have are very flexible, and that's what has allowed us to describe the physical world very well with them. So I figured, okay, I want Christianity for me to be a flexible model, and I don't necessarily have to reject it because it does bring me a lot of hope, and it brings me a lot of satisfaction and I was okay with the wishful thinking to some extent as long as I could keep justifying it so as long as I could be intellectually justified so I started thinking more about free will and theology and I was driving I think in the car with my brother Josiah and he was telling me you this is ridiculous you can't believe in Christianity without free will and Josiah Initially, he didn't believe in free will because my dad doesn't believe in free will. And then he started believing in free will because he thought, you know, like the whole component of a relationship with God, it, he just couldn't make sense of theology without it. And we both kind of felt like Christianity doesn't make sense without free will and it doesn't make sense with free will. And he told me, you know, I, I don't think that belief makes sense. Like, think about the gospel. Think about Jesus paying the punishment for our sins if we didn't choose those sins what is jesus doing what's the point and i just kind of saw the big picture of the bible as this story arc of god and man and they were at tension and jesus and they're all just characters like people and it's just this this drama right and without free will if, if god was really omniscient and omnipotent that story just didn't make sense to me it felt like it could only be some kind of staged act that god created who knows why to bring glory to himself i don't know but it just the power of it all just was robbed and i just decided what if you know this whole this flexible model quote quote what if it's it's a it's a failed model and i just kept trying to change it and change it to make it work and at some point i just had to give up it was just a lost cause and i kind of thought about what that would mean to not be a christian anymore all right so now let's introduce the second story the psychological motivations, the other non-rational influencing factors. So, I think in that car ride, driving home kind of in silence as I was just processing that, I felt a kind of excitement about the idea of rejecting my faith. I have to be honest. I felt like it was an opportunity to really liberate myself or something or really just prove to myself that I was an independent person and an independent thinker that I overcame the biases of my childhood and in that way 
yes, pride is an influencing factor, and I recognize that. And maybe that's could have influenced what compelled the actual change, what made me think, okay, I'm actually going to do it this time. Because I also felt like a, like a flake. I emailed Mr. Fleming in the middle of junior year. I told him, I don't know if I can be a worship leader anymore. And this was when I was, you know, every week going in front of the school, not just singing songs, but talking to the congregation, trying to get them to really open their hearts up to God. That was my job. And here I was struggling with a lot of thoughts about whether Christianity was even true. And I just felt ingenuine. And I sent him an email saying, basically, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And he said, doubting is good, basically. That is, that doesn't mean your faith is less genuine. It means it's more genuine. And, but I just kept doing this. I kept falling into doubting. I kept thinking, maybe I should reject my faith. Maybe I should reject my faith. Then I found some reason to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to keep being a Christian. And I just felt like, you know what? I keep wanting to do it. I can tell. I'm, I just feel like that is what, where my beliefs actually are. I don't feel like, I feel like the thing that was really holding me back was the social context, the social pressure, um, just the thought of disappointing people, things like that. And, I, and that was all influencing me too. And maybe I just felt the sense like, I'm going to finally be genuine. I'm going to be, I'm going to finally just get it done and stop being a flake. It's fairly common knowledge that kids have have a rebellious stage right the teenager stage and I never had that stage I was a tight-laced you know golden boy and it's quite possible that I just enter that stage at that moment I just felt like you know here I was just listening to my parents all my life and I started you know becoming more thoughtful and I started disagreeing with my parents more and more and I decided maybe I just wanted to construct my own identity. That was definitely a factor. Another thing I think people wonder about is the fact that I started dating shortly before I rejected my faith. And I talk to Mr. Meyer every week about my theological questions. I'm still talking to him among other teachers. And something he said was nine times out of 10, rejecting your faith has has to do with some moral issue in your life and that's probably true obviously it's hard to retain your beliefs when they conflict with your actions and desires and um, the main culprit is sexual immorality he was referring to a guy who was had an affair at the same time uh, as having questions about his faith and that obviously makes sense but I stand before God if he exists I don't think it was about a morality issue like that. I have actually held to a lot of um, my Christian morality, the prince, the Kent commandments, and what whatnot, right? And I uh, could it be have an influence? Maybe I I don't know. I think it actually did. And let me explain. So Sophia was who's my girlfriend. She was not a Christian when I started dating her and I was I was a Christian and that caused some concern for my parents 
I talked to my mom all about it, but I didn't care. I didn't feel like that's something that mattered to me because I saw my Christianity as something I believed as a choice, not because the evidence confirmed it for sure, because I just felt like there was so much ambiguity and our beliefs come down to choices. And if somebody else decides to make a different choice, I don't respect them any less for, for it. And I value much more pragmatic character and pragmatic belief because I don't think we even really know what we believe. I think what we really believe comes out in our actions and I felt like I really liked the actions of Sophia. My dad, I didn't really talk about Sophia a whole lot with and I did when I started dating her though and he didn't really approve. And I think that's how it was an influencing factor. I decided to go against my parents in a pretty major decision um, because of a difference in belief. I was a liberal Christian. I didn't believe the Bible was inspired by God. My parents did. I had a lot more tolerance for different beliefs and that maybe gave me a taste for independence or it maybe made me a little bit more bold or a little bit more confident to step away from what my parents told me. And so that's when the whole car situation happened with my brother. And I decided, you know, maybe I don't believe in Christianity anymore. And I don't really, oh, I remember who the first person I told was. I told my mom. We just went out walking at night. And that's really when the decision became concrete. When I told my mom, I'm not a Christian anymore. I just have to be honest with myself. I don't feel like I really believe it. And here's why. And she was obviously upset, but I felt like she handled it pretty well. It was really emotional. Um, it was, it was sort of separating. Um, she was really disappointed because her faith means a lot to her, but I didn't feel like it was going to tear us apart. It was going to really seriously influence our relationship. And then I got home and then I told my dad and that was a little different. Um, he, he just told me straight up, you know, this is where our relationship's not going to be the same anymore because every time we pray at night you're not going to be able to participate or I mean he wasn't banning me you know he's just saying you know that's not a place where we can connect anymore and because faith is such an important part of our family he told me that's going to isolate you from us and that just broke my heart and I just all those ideas like I'm going to be independent yay this is liberation. This is a chance to reinvent myself. Those, I, I forgot about those. And I just realized this is freaking painful. And I, it didn't get much better, honestly. And I was a, I was a contributing factor because I kind of felt rejected. And when you're, when you feel rejected, it's hard not to kind of reject back and kind of feel like, like a martyr or something like you're being persecuted 
And so maybe I did kind of distance myself from my parents, but also because I just felt a lot of pain kind of around them. I felt a lot of disappointment and I felt their disappointment because as Christian parents, their primary objective in life is to, or not in life, but as parents, is to raise Christian children who love God. And I just felt like I was a failure in that way. I was a failure child. My brother Jude had already uh, rejected his faith, and that was not an easy thing for my family, but he always had gone against the grain, and he was a Catholic for a long time, and my parents didn't really think he was a true Christian anyways, so that wasn't a super huge shock for them, but here I was, like, they thought I had so much promise, right? won all these Christian character awards, led worship, and then here I was crashing down, and it was hard for them, and it was hard for me, and I was encouraged, I kept talking with a lot of my teachers, and I was encouraged by them to try to reach out to my parents and my family and try to stay connected with them, and I I don't know if I did a very good job uh, I talked with my mom a lot. My dad, I don't know. It's just, it's it was just strained. I don't really know why. I've just had a hard time connecting with him over really anything except ideas. And once my ideas diverged so much from his, it just, that was a point where we couldn't talk. And so we just, when we talked, it was kind of more, it was superficial, right? And we didn't really have much of a relationship and it was it was there's a lot of tension there also involving Sophia and then I, t- I would talk with my mom though at in the evenings and I actually I think I drew closer to her just because I needed somebody to just spell out to and she was that person and so it wasn't all bad I guess with my family my brother Josiah it was you know, it was the same with him. We were still bros. Didn't seem to matter much. I mean, my dad, he doesn't talk about it anymore. He doesn't say, like, I'm still disappointed, right? But it still lingers. Like, there because my mom tells me, really, that he just feels sad. And I know I'm the cause of that sadness. I don't know, really, at this point, but all through the summer and a while after that and I heard you know he saw uh, he he saw the students leading worship in teacher devotions and there was no worship leader and it was really awkward and he just was reminded of me and was really sad about it and I, I mentioned this in Frank's podcast. I have a people-pleasing tendency. I want to make people happy around me. I want them to be happy with me. And it, it was really hard for me to disappoint people like that. It was also difficult internally because I thought, you know, once again, I was. this was liberation. This was me going to figure myself out this was solidifying my identity right it was really deconstructing my identity because i didn't realize how much of 
of a subconsciously rested on Christianity and Christian fellowship. And once I was just violently torn from all of that, I didn't know who I was. And I didn't feel, I couldn't even hold up a conversation. Like I would talk to friends. I, I would talk to family and just have a hard time even articulating my thinking just because there was so much dissonance between my subconscious and my conscious and I've you know I still haven't really recovered from that fully and I just felt really depressed but again I don't want to be some kind of sob story like this podcast is me just saying everybody feel bad for me the martyr who you know whose parents are intolerant or something like that because they're not I love my parents and they love me and life moves on it's just something that that happens and it makes sense and I think though that hardship is something that I might have wanted that could be another alternative uh, or ulterior motive that I had for rejecting my faith I needed a story like that something that could say I went through it and I am a unique and uh, stronger individual for it something I could write in a college application you know and maybe that caused me to dramatize a little bit the the pain involved at least that's what I've been thinking but I've talked to some other people who have had periods of doubt Montevista teachers who are obviously Christians now but they went through periods where they decided to reject their faith and then believed it again and they said too it was really hard on them psychologically on them relation relationally so I don't think I'm that rare and I think this is just part of the process and I think I'm gonna be okay but it was it's been harder than than I expected it's certainly if I did have some kind of ulterior motive, I was very foolish because here I had a position that people looked up to. I was I led people in worship and I had a lot of respect in Christian circles and that all went away and a lot of my relationships were severely damaged and I don't think that's something I wanted. In fact, I completely admitted in the freshman retreat, um, let's see, what, what was it, sophomore year, junior year? I don't remember. But I basically said, I'm okay with wishful thinking. And that's kind of what my Christian faith is. It's wishful thinking. I think it's okay to believe something because, because it improves your life to believe it because that's kind of all we got I don't think we really have evidence and rationality I think we just have wishful thinking and that's what all of us are doing so I might as well be honest about it and say that's why I'm a Christian and it kind of shocked me that those words came out of my mouth but now I guess I can't be wishing anymore I don't know I just I'm done wishing and I you can't sincerely believe in something when you know I'm just believing in it because I want to that basically has the underlying assumption it's not true 
but I just believe it's true. I think recognizing that Christianity was such an alluring belief system that, you know, like the Twin Lakes pastor talked about for a while, how you see in modern stories and ancient stories, stories forever, they follow similar paths that the gospel does, right? You see the gospel everywhere in, in human art, right? And he said, okay, that's because the gospel is, is ingrained in all of us. And to me, that was really more of a proof that Christianity is a production of mankind. It's another story that they came up with because they liked it, just like all the other stories we like and wish were true. And just knowing that I want it to be true felt like this religion is, is synthetic, and just a lot of the beliefs too the idea that like talking to god prayer the idea that you were saved if you believed in the religion that was really suspicious to me like why would god care about what we believe why would he put you know us in hell if we don't believe so that sounds like something that would just cause a religion to get really big without having a lot of substantial ground. And um, just, I think, the human-made nature of Christianity that I began to, to feel was really the ultimate influencing factor for me rejecting my faith. And that had a lot of subtle components. And there are some things... Um, to start concluding there are some things about this journey that have bothered me one of those is the fact that it made me really unhappy to reject my faith because that's something christians always say without christianity you can't be happy and when i was rejecting my faith i didn't believe that i thought i'm going to be happier than ever here i am you know being true to myself and I just felt like that confirmed what they said. And another thing is, you Christians would say, Christianity makes you a good person, right? And without Christianity, you will just be a, a wreck, and you'll be a bad person. I do feel like I'm not as good of a person anymore. I don't know, maybe that's just my imagination. I just, it's harder to do the right thing and maybe that's because of a lot of the cognitive dissonance. Maybe that's because I don't have as much of a moral accountability in my head. I'm just really confused. I don't know. Maybe it's because I have become more of the center of my universe where I'm saying, okay, I'm the one who's in control of what I believe and the moral policies that I subscribe to and you just maybe can't be your own god. And that's an idea that Christians have always told me over and over and over again. I think that's true. I do feel like we need to, to have humility. We need to submit ourselves to something. We need to be able to comprehend our own insignificance in some way. To be good people. 
And I hope I don't need Christianity to do that. I hope I don't need Christianity to be happy and to be a good person. Or I hope that I have some kind of realization that I've been wrong this whole time. And Christianity really is the truth. But that's not something I can do now or probably anytime soon. So that's my story. And I hope it cleared a lot of things up. I hope to see you back on How's Life. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.